This is the Jocko Underground Podcast number 79, sitting here with Echo Charles. EC Echo Charlie. Yes. Emmy Jocko Link. Contrarian thinking is a, a, is a tool, I believe. And the reason I believe it's a tool is because I think it allows us to discover things that are counterintuitive, which is positive, which you need help to get to. get to. You need help finding counterintuitive ideas and finding counterintuitive solutions. You need help finding them because they're by nature counterintuitive. So your intuition is probably wrong and you're thinking it's this, but it's not that. And so you need help finding counterintuitive ideas and solutions. So the reason is counterintuitive thinking goes against conventional wisdom. Sometimes it even goes against common sense, right? There's times where you're looking at a counterintuitive idea and it doesn't make sense. This happens, this is a bro science problem, by the way. Sure. Because bro, you ever heard a bro science explanation that makes 100% sense? Yeah, most of it. And then someone just presents actual facts to you? <laughs> yes. And you think, hmm, I'm completely wrong, yeah. right? Yeah. So sometimes intuitive thinking is wrong, completely wrong. So even though it makes total common sense, but it doesn't work. So I, the reason I bring this up is because I talk about counterintuitive solutions a lot. The reason I probably end up spending a lot of time talking about them and explaining them to people and teaching them is because they're counterintuitive. People don't get them easily. You want the team to buy into the plan. How do you get them to do that? The intuitive response is, oh, you... First of all, you need to explain the why. There's a bunch of reasons that actually make sense, mm-hmm. but the counterintuitive one is you let them come up with the plan. Mm-hmm. And as soon as people hear that, they go, oh yeah, that's right. Or here's another one that I've been telling a lot of people lately. You want someone to listen to you? You want your team to listen to you? How do you get your team to listen to you? Yell louder? No. Mm-hmm. Explain more explicitly? No. You want someone to listen to you? Listen to them. Counterintuitive, but it works. So that's what counterintuitive is. Now contrarian or contrarian thinking is intentionally going against the grain. It's intentionally going against popular opinion. And sometimes the, th- the thing with contrarian thinking is it often, or actually the, the goal of contrarian thinking is to be against traditional wisdom. That's the goal of it. The goal isn't to be smarter. The goal isn't to be have a better plan, the goal isn't to have a better idea, the goal isn't to have a better solution, the goal is just to be contrarian, it's just to be against traditional wisdom. Whereas counterintuitive thinking is to actually figure out what the best idea idea is, even if it happens to be against the norm. So I worked for a guy one time that was very contrarian, contrarian guy, And, and it was good because he would get like, New ideas, you know, he'd throw something out there, it'd be a new idea, and you'd think, cool. But then I realized after a little while that everything that he said was the contrarian view. And he didn't care if it was going to take more time. He didn't care if it wasn't the best idea. It was just that it was different. So my recommendation is to think like a contrarian. So think as contrarian as you can. 
so that you are able to see counterintuitive ideas, but at the same time, don't be contrarian just for the sake of being contrarian. And don't get stuck in the, in the zone or in the lane. Don't get stuck in the lane of being contrarian. Reed Hoffman, he's a guy, he's a, uh, a billionaire venture capitalist um, guy from Greylock Partners. He founded, he founded LinkedIn. So if you've heard of him, that's probably why you've heard of him. He's attributed of using this phrase, uh, encouraging people to have strong beliefs loosely held. Right, so you have very strong belief, but you don't hold on to it. And I think this is a good way to look at being a contrarian. Is like you're gonna think the opposite, but you're not gonna just think that way. Try hard to think of new ideas, but don't get married to them. Um, to be able to look at a problem, and be like, hey, we, maybe we could do this a totally different way. You know what's a great way to start off with contrarian thinking when you're trying to solve a problem? Is to just say, what? Why do we even need to solve this problem? Mm. Yeah, that's good. Like, why do we even need to do this? Yeah. You ever heard someone? Uh, actually, it was who was it with? Oh, it was with Doctor Luke, and we were talking about passing the knee shield, you know, guard, mm-hmm. jujitsu. If you're not a jujitsu player, and he was saying he was talking to Jeff Glover, and Jeff Glover's like, "How do I?" You know, he's like, "Jeff, how do I get past this?" And he puts him in the knee shield, and then Jeff just steps back. All of a sudden, there's no no more knee shield. It's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you? Why do you? He's that's the answer that Jeff is giving. Why? Why do you even need to get by that thing? Go a different way. Mm-hmm. So, if you're looking at a problem, if you're looking at something that needs planning, if you're looking at something that needs a solution, and you wait a second, why are we even trying trying to solve this right now? You ever have that? You know, you you got the guy who's trying to uh, figure out how to pick the lock to the door, and then someone else just like. Slides open the window because it's open. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, Why are you yeah. trying to solve this? The way that you see this is by being detached, by taking a contrarian look at something. Uh, well, here's another good little contrarian statement to ask yourself: What if this was already done? Would we be worried about it? Would we be thinking about it? Mm. Right? What, what would we be if this wasn't? If we weren't focused on this right now? If this just disappeared, what would we be focused on? Mm. All of a sudden you say, wait a second, we're focused on something very small that's right in front of us, but it's not gonna really have a big impact over a long long period of time. So those are some questions to ask yourself to try and break yourself out of normalized thinking, to try and get yourself in a contrarian mindset. You know, do we even need to do this? Is there a totally different way to do this? What if this was already done? Those are some questions you can ask yourself. And if you, so that you can, Think like a contrarian, and you'll see new perspectives. But like I said, don't get stuck there. Don't be a person that is just going against the grain just so they can go against the grain. That's annoying. <laughs> yeah. It's annoying. Yeah. I kind of like the idea of, like I said, counterintuitive. Those are, those are hard to find. When you find them, they're more efficient. They're better. And sometimes you can find those solutions by thinking in a contrarian manner. So there you go. My topic for the day. Right on. <clears throat> Counterintuitive. Like there's a recently kind of went down a little rabbit hole with like decision making. Right? Mm-hmm. And one that that was um, counterintuitive is that more choices is better. Yep. <clears throat> so, you know, like, uh, and you know, like most counterintuitive things when someone can effectively explain it, you're like, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Not intuitive, but it makes sense with the explanation. But yeah, the choices thing is a big one. If you have like 
three choices or two choices, yeah. that's an easy decision. Yeah. Or it tends to be an easier decision. But then, so there was this experiment where I, I think this is what it was. It was people from the Ukraine, I think. They grabbed them. They said, what's the differences here? And they had all these different brands of soda. And they're like, it's, it's like, how many choices do you have here? They said one choice. They're like, why is it one choice? Because you have choice of soda. It does like the differences between all this soda or whatever mm. is like there's no choice there. That's just soda. Mm. And then they said, okay, they have a bunch of sodas. They have a orange juice and they have a milk. How many choices? Three choices. Mm. So they kind of went down like, why is this one choice? They're different brands. They taste different or whatever. But in their mind, I guess like it has a lot to do with where you're from, your environment, all this stuff. Where that didn't didn't present as a bunch of choices because that's not the routine in regards to soda. Mm -hmm. So it's like interesting. Well, there's there's all kinds of when it comes to having multiple choices, it is certainly much easier to make a f quick decision between yeah. two choices. Yeah, is a lot, and there's a there's a law for this. There's like one of those theoretical laws, and I can't remember what it is. But like, if you have two choices, mm -hmm. the amount of time it takes you to select between A and B mm -hmm. compared to A, B, and C yeah. is a big exponential factor. Yeah. So you want to minimize the number of choices that you have in a stressful situation because it's going to make a make it a lot easier for you to make a very quick decision yeah. as opposed to if you have four three choices or four choices. Yeah. You know even on the battlefield we have like a set number of immediate action drills that we're going to follow. We have 38 plays. Yeah. You know, we got like 12. Yeah. And they're all pretty simple. Yeah. So Yes, minimize the number of choices actually will make you faster and more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. And like you ever, I know you don't drink wine, but you ever tried to shop for wine before? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of choices, <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> so, yeah. Cool. Check. All right, let's get some Q&A. Q&A, first question. What do we got? <clears throat> My question is about taking tracking fitness. It's clear Jocko t uses a Timex thanks to Twitter and Instagram, by the way. And he has hinted about iPhone usage. I'm looking to break ties with my Apple Watch, but I don't know how to best track metrics around mile runs, heartbeat ratings, etc. I can use a phone or a notebook to record reps and weight, but what about cardio items? Oh, sorry. What about cardio times? I'm curious to I'm curious the protocol that both Echo and Jocko used to track these types of events, or should I even care? Doing my best to limit the, the dopamine hits. Dopamine, 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 dopamine. Apple Watch is great, but comes with a downside as well. Dopamine. There must be a dichotomy. Um, yeah, so I mean, I use a notebook. I've used a notebook for a long time. And actually, I, I started using a notebook more religiously when I, I got some injury at some point. And I was like, oh, dang. I need to track and see how well, uh, you know, if I'm getting better. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that was the first time, and then I then I, then I realized the benefit of it. Because before that, you know, when you're like 19 or 20, you just know what your numbers are. Yep. Yep. And plus, you're doing like at back in the day, we're doing less exercises. Yeah. More consistently, less exercises, more often. Yeah. So you didn't really have to track it the way I have to track my stuff now. So yeah, now I use a notebook. Yeah, I write down reps. I write down weights. I write down sets. I I write down time for runs if I'm using like the the rower or the assault bike, I write down whether it's calories or distance or whatever, so I just write stuff down. Now, that being said, I, th I do think there's actual benefits to these smartwatches. I've got a lot of friends that have a lot of these smartwatches and stuff, and it gives you the distance that you ran, it gives you the heart rate that you did, it gives you some really good information. 
so I think there's a lot of beneficial aspects to those smart watches. Mm. Uh, the obvious downside is the dopamine slippery slope, right? Which yeah. is I'm assuming is you get a text message on your freaking watch, yeah. right? You get this, you get that, you can, I don't know what you can do on them, but there's too much and it's too close of a, of a tie to your phone. Yep. Which is a problem for a lot of people. So that being said, I think the and I had to look this up, but I, there's a solution to this. You can limit the type of notifications that you get on your iPhone watch or your Apple watch. You can limit it. Yeah. You can just have that thing tell you times and reps and heart rate. Mm-hmm. You don't need to tell you that you know Sally texted you, right? Yeah. You can also do the same thing with your phone. You can set limits on the amount of you know. Booker T. Washington said you get five minutes a day to get world news. We extended that because we know we're open-minded to 10 minutes a day for news and social media. Mm. So you could set the limit of your screen time for each app. You could get two minutes on Twitter a day, two minutes on Instagram a day, two minutes on the Facebook a day, two minutes on LinkedIn. That's eight minutes. You got two minutes for world news. (laughs) <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Well, right? Sure. Yeah. Do you yeah. think you'd be a better person if that was your scenario? I would be a better person. There you go. We scenario. all know this. Yes. Yeah. We all know this. Yeah. So that's probably my first step. I would see if I could control this. And um, uh, Andrew Huberman's friend wrote a book, which I read. It's about dopamine. I can't think of her name right now. He says it all the time too. Anna Lumpke or something like this. Anyways, um, they call this binding when you stop yourself from having access to the dopamine. Mm. So my first step for you in this case, I think you're gonna get some good stuff, heart rate. I wanna know the heart rate, it's cool. See if you can stop yourself through binding, meaning setting up obstacles, setting up prevention by not letting your watch give you every notification that Instagram just, someone just tagged you in an Instagram post. Oh my God, what is it? It could be the one, it could be the one, it could be the one, it could be the one. (laughs) You know what I mean? Don't let that happen. Just set it up so it can't notify you of that stuff and then limit your screen time. And if that doesn't work, cool, then go get a Timex Ironman. If if you can't control it that way, get a Timex. We're going old school and a notebook. There you go. I'm still in the old school, just memorize all my stuff. I had one of those whoop <laughs> wristband yep, thing. Yep. It's not a watch, right? When did you get that thing? Uh, well, I don't know. Long. Actually, I had it Wait, for like when JP a, was using that stuff? Yeah, so you know when when, when everyone, actually yeah. on front, everyone started to just uh, all of a sudden had it? Yep. I got Jack Daniel Hill convinced mm-hmm. me like how cool it was and all this mm-hmm. stuff. So I bought it, never used it for about three months. Mm-hmm. Finally put it on or whatever and like, yeah, cool, it's fun, it's interesting, but that that thing and you that you kind of talked about where that starts to become yet another thing in my life that I'm engaged with. Mm. That's what it is. Well what JP said was if that thing said he was tired, he felt yeah. tired. And that was real too. And yep. if he didn't tell him he was tired, I need to make one for JP that just says you're fired up today, JP. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. You're ready. Yeah, that and that's true too. And you're always you're just constantly checking this and that and this and that. It's like 
your attention should be, and this is just what I felt. I'm not saying this is the case for everybody, but Mm -hmm. um, I felt like I was paying too much attention to all those numbers on there. When, let's face it, man, my workouts are pretty routine. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there, but they're so routine that I know the numbers. In fact, I didn't even need the the whoop thing anymore because the numbers would always read the same thing every single time. You do more repetitive workouts than I do. Yeah, yeah. Mine are are definitely repetitive, but I have more options on the menu than you do so yeah there you go those are the recommendations keep getting after it watch out for that dopamine check next question been listening to your podcast every morning on my commute to work i live in murrieta and i'm currently stationed in point loma yesterday my life has changed i was diagnosed with stage four npc cancer and will be going to chemotherapy very soon any discipline recommendations is highly appreciated thank you Check. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for your service. So stage four nasopharyngeal cancer is when I looked up what NPC is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, definitely, like you said, your life changed. And this fight now obviously becomes the priority for you. And that means you have to do everything you can. This is total war. This is total war. That's what this is. You know, the difference between war and total war is obvious. In war, okay, we're gonna do the best, we're gonna have these limitations, we're gonna make these exceptions to rules, we're gonna gonna follow these guidelines. That's not the scenario here. You're in total war scenario. That means everything that you do is to help the fight. That means you're eating what you're supposed to eat. That means you're staying hydrated. That means you're getting rest you need rest. This chemo is so hard on your body and so hard on your mind, you need to get plenty of quality rest. And that's gonna be hard. Because there's gonna be the pain, there's gonna be the nausea, there's gonna be the fatigue. There's gonna be suffering. And for the mental part of that, it's like, okay, cool. I can take this, my cancer cannot. That's the game we're playing right now. The game we're playing right now is this chemo is gonna hurt, I can take it, my cancer cannot bring it. So that's part one. Part two, I would actually write about what's going on. I would keep a journal, kind of like what we were just talking about, workout journals, but I would write down like, how are you feeling today? What was the high, what was the low? And then you, if you track how you're feeling, then you understand what's going on better, more clearly. Uh, you know, what are you going to do for exercise during this? And it might be the most light, moderate exercise imaginable. Maybe you're just, maybe you're not even expending any, any energy. Maybe you're just stretching, right? Depending on what the doctor says. Maybe we can walk. Maybe we can do some calisthenics. I don't know. We definitely don't want to, we want to focus on the fight. Getting outside, what did the doc say about that? Right, so your doctor's gonna give you recommendations on what you're doing to win this war. You're gonna follow those things to a T. What else? Um, Get a guitar. You know, get a guitar. Hey, you're not gonna be able to do what you normally do. You're gonna be in bed. You're gonna be in a bed at some point laying there. 
So you get a guitar and you start learning how to play guitar. That's just a given, right? Getting something totally beneficial out of this whole thing. There's not many times in your life where someone, you're gonna be able to just lay in bed and practice guitar. So we're doing that. <laughs> um, and I think that is gonna give you something to focus on, right? I would say try and keep a much of a routine as you can, right? Doing the same things. You're gonna be at that chemo at this time. What's it make you feel? How bad are you gonna feel for? How long are you gonna feel bad for? Once you get done feeling bad, you're gonna you're, you're gonna do your stretch, you're gonna do your journal, you're gonna play your guitar, you're gonna go for a walk, you're gonna get in the sunlight, you're gonna repeat that. So that's what we're doing. And of course, on top of all that, we're gonna say stay strong and fight on. Take care of yourself, man. Get better. That's what we're doing. <clears throat> Next question. Good morning, sir. <clears throat> I'm currently working as a DHS employee, and I want to switch careers. It's always been a dream to become a Navy SEAL, and I know 39 is a bit old, but is there, but is there any age waivers for the SEAL team? I'm still in amazing, amazing shape and could keep up with any of those young bucks. I'm determined, strong-minded, and willing to do anything to make to make to be a seal please let me know if you have any contacts i could talk to or anything to help i live currently in san diego and i'm going to keep pushing to reach my goal thank you um the highest age waiver that i have ever heard of is 33 like that was some kind of an extreme case i've never heard of 34 I've never heard of 35. Definitely never heard of 36, 37, 38, 39, no question. Not happening. Uh, sorry. So not gonna happen. It's just 39 is not is not a go. It's a no-go. Never heard of anything like that. Like I said, the oldest I've heard of is 33. Maybe there's a 34 in there, but I think it's 33. I think the official is 29. I think 29 is the official cutoff. <laughs> So anything over 29, you need a waiver. Why is that? Because they've run the numbers. And when you're 30, 31, 32, 33, you ain't making it. And it's not because you can't keep up with the young bucks. It's just that it's a bloodbath every day for six straight months. And the human body at age 39 is not happening. So... And, and look, there's no point in even torturing yourself of like, well, no, for me, I could keep up with these guys. I'm in amazing shape. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. You're not going to get a waiver at age 39. It's not happening. Um, so what's cool is that there's a whole bunch of other cool options that are out there. You want to serve? Um, you know, you at 39, if you enlisted, tried to enlist right now, you wouldn't leave until you're 40. Now you're 41, you're 42, and you show up to a SEAL team. If you're lucky, you're not 43. 43-year-old new guy in a SEAL platoon carrying an M60 out in the desert mountains? No. Luckily, there's some awesome options for you out there. The Army definitely takes people that are 39 years old, 40 years old. The Marine Corps does not, zero. The Air Force, I don't know. Law enforcement, does. Firefighters, does. So... I would, at this juncture, look for some other organizations that you could serve that you could still have an opportunity to get into. 
Um, and it looks like, dude, you're at DHS right now, Department of Homeland Security. I'm sure you have a cool job there. There's also some cool units within Department of Homeland Security. Let's go figure out what some of those cool units are that you are still, yeah, you still have access to at the age of 39. I'm sure there's some of them. So let's go try and make that happen. But no way, I have no contacts that could help you. I have no, don't know anybody that could help you at this juncture get into the Navy. Maybe in the regular Navy, but not, not for the SEAL teams. So there you go. That's what I got. Yeah, it seems like it's like shin splints, stress fractures. Like, it seems like that's super common. In, yeah. In uh, buds. Yeah. It's, and look, even if like this guy is sitting there being like, no, I won't get him. I run 50 miles a week, which he, mm-hmm. he could run 80 miles a week. Mm-hmm. He could be a total stud, a total stud. They're not going to let him in. 39 ain't happening. Yeah. It ain't happening. And part of that is just like financially investment wise, right? Yeah, I remember you saying. Like you, you're investing in someone. You really want to invest in a guy that's 39 or 40 years old? Like he can't do his full career. Like when you're 50, when you're 10 years into the SEAL teams, you should be in your optimum operating mode. Mm. When you're 50, you're not. Period, end of story. Yeah, hey, funny. 39, you can still be optimum. Yeah. 50, you're not. Mm. So, so when you're 50, you can't do the job. And so now they've invested this time and money and effort. You've taken someone's slot and it's like, oh, it doesn't work. Yeah. So just from a from a return on investment standpoint, they're not going to let you in. Uh, that makes so. sense. that makes sense too. Yeah, when you said it uh, a while ago, it, who? How old were you when you retired? Do you remember? Thirty nine. I just turned thirty nine. Okay, so damn, you had your whole career at the same age as this guy's. Yes, to start twenty years deep. Yeah, <laughs> damn. And then is BTF Tony older than you or younger than you? He's older than me. I want to say he's like. Actually, he's he's definitely older than me. He's he. I want to say he turned forty in Ramadi. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I turned thirty-five in Ramadi. Okay, yeah, that was that's what I was gonna so ask. He's like, five years older than me. Yeah. So is that is that pretty normal to have a forty-year-old yep. forty-year-old platoon chief good to go? Rolling in. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Forty-year-old 40 platoon chief, forty-two-year-old task unit or troop C, troop uh, senior enlisted advisor. Sure. Yeah. Yep, you could be in there, but you're in a lot like that's a lot different than going through buds. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I would think so. And it's weird because it's not like it's it's not that it's easier, but yeah, buds is just a destruction. Yeah, it's like a bloodbath. A beat down on your physical yep. body. Yep. Yeah, and actually, yeah, because Jeremy just retired. Yep. And he was 45. Yeah. So yeah, that's true. Yep. I dig it. <clears throat> but they got 25 years out of him. Yeah. They got their money's worth out of me. Yeah. They got their money worth out of BTF Tony. Yeah, yeah. They got their money's worth out of us dudes that started when we were 18, 19, 20 years old. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So there you go. Yeah. yeah so th- there's cool stuff at DHS. There's cool stuff in law enforcement. There's cool stuff in the Army. Go do something cool. There's so few people that are SEALs. That it's not a realistic, and this is the kind of thing when when someone has that dream, like none of this deters them. They're mm-hmm. like, no, I still got to do it. It's like, no, you don't. There's other cool things to do. Mm-hmm. Go do them. Go do something cool, man. 
Next, Next question. question. I'm 40. I have two little girls ages 9 and 11. Those little girls mean the world to me. Makes me sick to my stomach when I think one day they'll be older and are going to start liking boys. What advice do you have for me as they're growing up? And most importantly, I heard teen daughters are not easy to deal with. Any suggestions on that? Thanks. Um, I, yeah, I have three daughters. They're 23, 21, and 13 years old. And I don't know why it would make you sick to your stomach that one day they would start to get older and start to like boys. I mean, what that means is hopefully at some point they learn to get along with other human beings. They have growth in their life. They have boyfriends. Boyfriends lead to marriage. Marriage leads to family. Like this is sort of what we're doing here. This is sort of what we're doing here. So you should not be sick to your stomach that your daughters are gonna grow up and be good human beings that have you know, a husband at some point and children at some point and can carry on your family and can produce productive humans themselves. Like this is all awesome. Um, I've been lucky, my daughters uh, are great. And what advice do I have? Okay, so. I guess Way of the Warrior Kid book. A lot of parents tell me that that's a good parenting book. All the whole series. So if you haven't got the Way of the Warrior Kids books, get them. Um, advice. Look, give them trust and they're gonna trust you. Right? Listen to them and they're gonna listen to you. Treat them with respect and they're gonna treat you with respect. Allow them to influence you and you will have more influence with them. If you care about them and they know it, they will take care of you. So what does that mean? It's very difficult sometimes. You know, the example I use, my, my kids didn't have curfews. No curfews, come home when you're, when you're ready. Come home, midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Ooh. Here's the thing, if you send them into the world with good values and good understanding of consequences and understanding ownership of what their decisions are, they can go out in the world and it doesn't matter when they come home because they're making good decisions. If you don't trust them, cool. If you don't trust them because you haven't raised them to have good decision-making um, mind, then cool, you better have them home at nine because otherwise they're gonna be out there doing all the things that you don't want them to be doing. And if you, if, if you don't trust them, then they're not gonna trust you. And guess what they're doing once they're home at nine? Better lock that window and put bars on it because they're climbing out the window. Listen to them. They're gonna have different ideas than you. If you say that their ideas are stupid, guess what they're gonna think of your ideas? They're gonna think your ideas are stupid. If you actually listen to what their ideas are, if you treat them with respect, they're gonna treat you with respect. If you give them autonomy, they will take responsibility. If you treat them like a child, they will act like a child, even when they're 18, even when they're 24, even when they're 14. If you treat them like an adult, they'll behave like an adult, like a mature adult. They'll make good decisions, they'll understand consequences. So let's keep all that in mind. We're trying to develop a relationship. This doesn't mean, this doesn't mean you're trying to be their friend trying to develop a relationship. Most important part is they understand that you care about them. 
don't be overprotective. Put them in a, um, a bubble, right? Don't expect zero defects. Your daughters are going to screw some things up. Your daughters are going to make some bad decisions. Your daughters are going to do things that make no sense whatsoever. They're not going to be perfect. They're going to make mistakes. And that's how they will learn to be better humans, is by making mistakes. Again, treating your kids as adults to the best of your ability, to, I shouldn't say as adults, you, you give them as much responsibility as they can handle. And they can handle a little bit more than you think. But this starts with, you know, they're, they're 10 years old, 9 years old, 11 years old, making their own food, making their own breakfast, cleaning up the kitchen by themselves, doing their own laundry, all those things that they understand that they can do, let, let them do it. Let them do it. Not force them to, not make them into a slave, but like, hey, oh yeah, you can do your own laundry. Oh, you're, you just turned 10, cool, that means you, you, you know, I don't have to make your, uh, I, I don't have to force you to eat what I make for lunch, you can make your own lunch. Um, let them grow up. If you keep them suppressed under your tyrannical fatherhood, they're going to be rebellious. They're going to do things to get back at you. They're going to do things to find their way out of tyranny. That's what will happen. So don't stifle their growth. Teach them to make good decisions. Make sure they understand the consequences of bad decisions. And the hardest of these things <coughs> is to not get emotional and make emotional decisions and have emotional reactions to things. And lastly, my favorite form of discipline is asking earnest questions of your kids. Why do you want to do that? Why did you do that? What were you expecting? Where do you want this to lead? What do you want to do in the future? And don't get tyrannical. You can get tyrannical with those questions. You can get tyrannical with earnest questions. What do you want to do in your future? We had a joke in my family that when I asked my kids, what are you doing? They took it personally. They took it like, oh, he wants to know why I'm not doing something productive. Like I'd walk in on a Saturday morning, wait, what are you doing right now? Or, or even I wasn't even that accusational. I'd be like, oh, what are you doing? And my kids would all feel like it was an inquisition about their productivity as a human. Yep. They told me this later in life. <laughs> I can see that. So you don't want to be tyrannical with your questions, which I obviously was. So you think there's truth to that? Like how they interpreted it? You think that no, there was a little bit? There was a little bit, but there was also like me just literally asking like, oh, what are you doing today? Like, what are you up to? Kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when you're a little bit paranoid yeah. and you're a little bit thinking maybe you could be a little bit more productive mm -hmm. and then your hyper-productive dad comes in and asks you what you're doing, yeah. maybe you can feel a little bit like he's coming at you. Yeah. As my daughters would say, don't come at me. <laughs> Yeah. Also, uh, here's a here's in my opinion, 
in general, mm-hmm. more accurate way of looking at it. It's your, you know, you're hyperproductive. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're paranoid that they're not being productive as they should. It's more that they fear that they're not being as productive as they believe you think they should. Yes. So it's less about like, it's kind of like, hey, if me and you have different, legitimate different standards. Yep. But you're the dad, kind of intimidating, yeah. whatever, whatever the case may be. And I know your standard is like way high. I don't agree with it, but I know it's high. I'm going to feel that, but it's just from you kind of yeah, a thing, yeah. you know? So you think that was it? Yeah, for sure. One time I was I was doing a workout with my daughter, my youngest daughter, mm-hmm. and she was like crying a little bit. And I was like, hey, why are you crying right now? And she says, I'm afraid you're going to yell at me. And I said, have I ever yelled at you in your life? And she goes, no. I said, so why do you think I'm gonna yell at you about a workout? Like she, she yeah. couldn't do enough pull-ups or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, what? So that there you go. Like my perception is like, we were just having a fun time working out. Yeah. She's all of a sudden like teary. Yeah. And I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I'm afraid you're gonna yell at me. Yeah. I've ne- literally never yelled at you. Yeah. So where where is this coming from? And it's just like yeah. the the the... What you said, it's like this built up thing of, you know, fear and the dad and all yeah, this the stuff. Pressure. Yeah, the pressure. Yeah, that's true. I've actually been in the same scenario where, yeah, like something's bumming my daughter out. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I didn't, you know, I, I don't want you to be mad at me. And I don't think I've ever been mad at her. Yeah, like yeah. in any way, like yeah. that would show her. But it's like one of those things where, you know, the parents always know the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do kind of a thing. And then for whatever reason in her mind, she interprets it that, oh, dad's going to think I'm doing something wrong. Therefore, he's going to get, quote unquote, mad at me on the inside or whatever, you know. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, you know, this guy, I mean, you're lucky, man. Two little girls, ages 9 and 11. Make them into competent human beings that can contend with the world. Don't be the, the, the super dad, mm. the overprotective dad. <laughs> what does Jordan Peterson call that? The snife, stifling mother? Yeah, the devour. The, the devouring, devouring mother, yeah, yeah. right? Well, fathers can be devouring too. They're not supposed to be. It's normally the mother that's the devouring mother that 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 keeps the kid and protects them and puts them in a in a little in a little package where they can't be harmed by the world. And they call it the devouring, not the protective mother. It's the devouring mother. Because usually the dad's like, okay, you got to go out and learn. Yeah, That's what the dad's role is, you know, theoretically. Yeah. Is that the mom is the protector and the dad is the, okay, you need to, you need to contend with the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a good combination. But if either one of them goes to an extreme and you have the devouring mother or the father becomes a devouring father, mm-hmm. they, then, you, then you create children that can't contend with the world or you create children that are just going to rebel against you. And when they rebel against you, now you don't even have a recourse Mm -hmm. because you've lost your relationship. They don't believe you. They don't trust you. They won't listen to you. You already already destroyed all that. Mm -hmm. Look, it's freaking hard to raise kids. And what makes it hard is it's not gonna be a a perfect route to get there. There's little curves that you gotta, and what you gotta keep in mind is the end goal. What you got to keep in mind is the end goal. Look, your kid, (coughs) your daughter might come home from school and have, you know, uh, shaved the side of her head. She looks like a weirdo. 
That can happen. That can happen with your daughter. Mm -hmm. She shaves the side of her head, looks like a weirdo. And you probably think that's the biggest deal in the world. Mm -hmm. And you know what, it's not. It's actually not that big of a deal. Your daughter may start listening to terrible music that you hate. <laughs> Brutal. Now, one thing you gotta be careful of is they if your kids get into an echo chamber of like music and friends and bad influences, that is a thing. Yeah. And it can go too far. And one of the worst things you can do is they listen to music that you don't want to listen to, so you jump down their throat, tell them it's not allowed. That's the worst. The best thing you do is, oh, what are you listening to? Oh, what do you like about this music? Oh, who's this artist? Mm -hmm. Let me, oh, I was reading the lyrics, man. They're a little bit crazy. Like having a conversation like that where you actually listen to what they have to say, mm -hmm. they're gonna listen to you more. So 40 years old, two girls. Oh, uh, what else did you say? Oh, that they're uh, not easy to deal with. I'll tell you what, you know who your teen daughters are gonna think it's not easy to deal with? You, if it makes you sick to their st your stomach, if you, they like boys, they're freaking genetically programmed to like boys. It's okay, man, it's okay. That's what I got. Threw a lot at you, bro. Yeah, makes sense. Sometimes I feel, you know, I'd, obviously this isn't like a, some surprise, right? That the common feeling of like, oh wait, they're gonna, they're gonna go from these innocent teeny children, mm -hmm. innocent girls, to being involved with the whole boy girl thing, mm -hmm. right? That that just it's kind of that because we know how, <laughs> we know how greasy some boys can be. Mm -hmm. A lot of boys can be actually. We all know because we are boys, kind of a thing. So mm -hmm. that's usually where that comes from. So it's like you know when you're imagining your worst fear. <clears throat> You think of the worst case scenario usually it's not like it's like you know mike and the dragon you, mm. these dragons are huge so you yep. think of like when my little nine-year-old daughter turns i don't know 15 or whatever or however old where they start liking boys what's that imaginary boy in your mind look yeah. like the worst guy the to worst like. guy ever. oh yeah and all of them are like that yeah. you know and they're and they're trying to sneak in her window in the middle of the night and like they're doing all this weird stuff in your head you know, so I think that's kind of where he's coming from. But yeah, the reality is just like how you said, they're supposed to like boys. Mm -hmm. That's literally how it works. <laughs> like the, the whole reason you have kids right now and love these the, kids. The only reason you had kids is because yep. your wife at some point started to like boys. Yep. You're one of them. You're one of them. Exactly. Exactly right. This is the way it literally goes. So it's one of those things. And, you know, you and kind of like what you used to actually say a lot is like, yes, it's not all going to be perfect either. Like that's literally what life is. It's going to be some ups, some downs, and boom, you just do the best you can and you'll be just fine. Yep. It's one of those deals. Yep. There you go. But I kind of feel them. I feel them. Oh, yeah. Imagine no, the, the no, first boy no. that rolls into the house and like you just see the, the his shirt is the wrong color. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, what does this boy want with my innocence? Perfect yeah, look, there's daughter. some there, there's some things, you know, that a call like look, when you start getting in drugs, right? You start seeing behaviors, cycle things that are, you know, bad, things that can go really bad. That's when you got to start saying you got to have that relationship strong enough so that you can have a real conversation with not bark orders cuz look, you can bark orders at your kid. If I catch you doing drugs again, like okay, you already failed. Mm. And the way is actually not to go harder at them. The way is actually to build, rebuild the relationship which you've blown 
and come back and 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 try and form a relationship with them so that you can have influence over them again. Or you can put them, you know, lock them away, which in which case that boy with the wrong t-shirt on mm-hmm. is going to throw drugs through the window into your house or you know, she's going to escape and get out and yeah. they're going to disappear for 3 days. You're not going to worry. Like that's the kind of stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. One thing that's cool like my daughters and my son, like if there's something going on, they tell me what's up, yeah. you know? They'll tell me what's going on with something. They'll come home like, oh, like, you know, like this is what's going on. Or, you know, when my when my other daughters were in high school and stuff, like people are doing drugs or people are like, oh, you know, oh, hey, I drank yesterday. Oh, well, what were you drinking? Oh, we drank, we did shots. Oh, what was it like? You know, did you have fun? Like, I'm not mad, but just, mm-hmm. okay, hey, Look, you're in high school, you're 15 years old. You drank, you know, that's what's happening. I'm glad I know about it. Mm-hmm. If you don't know about it, you're just getting lied to and you don't have a good relationship. So, build a relationship. Build a relationship. All, right. All right, last next, question. Next question, settle an ongoing debate from me and my friends. Theoretically, if an untrained six foot two tall 230 pound fit athletic man was to find himself in a fight with a highly trained 5'4", 115 pound female MMA fighter. What are the odds that the woman is going to win? Would she tear him apart? Would the man tear her apart? Or would it be a close fight? (laughs) Okay. Look, even when professional Bookmakers. Oh wait, I did I say un- the guy's untrained? Yep. I said that right. Yep. Okay. Even when professional bookmakers do all the analytics of a fight between two people, they can't predict the outcome. Mm. You can't predict the outcome of fights. So and that's between two fighters that are same weight class that are both trained. Whatever. You still don't know who's going to win. Mm-hmm. Now, if one of them's if they're the same weight class and one of them's untrained and the other one's not, or sorry, one of them's trained and the other one's not, we have a very good idea of who's going to win. But for this like situation here, there's so many variables that, that go into this yeah. that it is very, very difficult to predict any kind of an outcome. Could, you know, how good is this girl? How good is this girl? Yeah. There's girls that are good enough at 115 pounds to beat a 130 pound man, or 230 pound man. Yes, that is true. How does the fight go down? What is this guy's instincts? Mm-hmm. Is this guy have the instincts to stay away does he have the instincts to throw bombs does he have the instincts to to avoid anyone grabbing exactly like, there's a bunch of things going on here there's a chance she could just get a rear naked choke on him almost instantly right mm-hmm. like there's little self-defense moves that you can do where you get a rear naked choke very very quickly could he land a lucky punch because even an untrained person knows how to throw a punch if he knows how to throw a baseball he knows how to throw a punch maybe not great but if he connects with that mm-hmm. 230 pounds versus 115 pounds. And by the way, 115 pounds can mean all kinds of things and so can 230 pounds. Mm. There's people that are 230 pounds that are not strong. There's And they're lean, but there's 230 pounds. But more importantly, there's 115 pounds girls, women that have a certain level of strength. And there's certain girls, certain women that have a ton of strength at that weight. Certain women have almost no strength at that weight. Mm-hmm. What does untrained mean? Is this literally zero knowledge? Because if you've watched the UFC, you have some like, yeah, 
if you've watched five UFCs, yeah. you've definitely like trained you. You've tried something on your drunk buddy. Yeah. Um, literally zero knowledge. Almost no one has literally zero knowledge anymore. Almost no one. Mm. When I started jujitsu for the first time, when I trained with Master Chief Steve Bailey for the first time, I literally had zero knowledge. <laughs> zero. And he was able to run through, because there was no UFC, he was able to run through me and Higgs and a few other guys that were there training with us, run through us like we were nothing. Mm. And if he would have weighed 115 pounds, he would have done the same thing. He would have done the same thing. We had literally no idea. The, the, there was no guard to pass. There was no, there was no position to get. You just took whatever you, he just took whatever he wanted to. Yeah. So literally zero training, zero training. You don't know what to do. You don't know what the object, the object of a fight is. You have no idea what's going on. You don't understand what a takedown is. You don't know what a sprawl is. So therefore, when someone shoots a takedown you and you don't know what a sprawl is, you're getting taken down, even if you're 115 pounds. If you don't know what, think about that. Yeah. Like if you're saying void of knowledge, actually I'm changing my mind a little bit. If this person has zero knowledge, I think the girl wins. <laughs> yeah. Think about zero, no, I'm thinking about yeah. zero knowledge. A double leg takedown, this person has no idea what's happening. Yeah. So the double leg takedown happens, there's no sprawl, there's no underhooks, there's no cross face, yeah. there's no, no little intuition of what to do because they have right. no nothing. Yeah. So then this person's on the ground. They have no idea what to do. Maybe they try and get back to their feet. When they do that, they go to their hands and knees, they're, uh, this girl's on his back getting the, the, the rear naked choke in, in a half a second. Yeah. I think you're right. You know I, what I'm I, saying? I, at first I was like, no, you know, like someone six, cause, you know, you, when you hear the six two two thirty at fit athletic men, you you have a certain person in mind. Mm -hmm. But then you just like I said, like untrained, like the person I had in mind. Even I'm thinking before, let's say, like how how much did Stoner weigh? You think he was about that? Oh right? yeah, no, yeah, he was two. He was six two. I think he's actually six one, six one. And 220 would be a 220, 225 would be a normal. Okay. Yep. So think of Stoner, right? Of, and, but then Stoner's trained. So, okay. Now I got to do more mental, you know, subtractions. And maybe before Seth started training. But like how you said, if they if he watched UFC, he would know that, oh, here comes a takedown when mm -hmm. it comes at him, right? Yep. At, the, at least knowing that. So he might be keeping his distance. He might be doing stuff that like takes fighting knowledge like to yep. do as, you know, as un how should i say un um ineffective mm -hmm. a lot of it might be being 62 and all will make it more being effective twice the body weight yeah. of the other human yeah. is an event is going to be is going to make up for a lack of skill yeah but not a zero skill so let's say a 62 pound just to narrow it down a little bit for the sake of really trying to crunch these numbers here 62 230 fit athletic in 1991, before anyone saw the yep. UFC. Yep, um, that was me when I rolled for the first time. Okay, there, The UFC didn't exist, and if the person that I was rolling with was a girl, yeah. the, the, I would probably would've been tapping out. Yes, and now, In fact, let me say this. I'm trying to think, I mean, imagine like Leticia. How much does Leticia weigh? Yeah, like 
that. Here, this is this is who I had in mind, Mackenzie Dern. She's a UFC fighter. And if you ever see her fight, she's real like aggressive. Even her judicial. What did she fight at? 125? I thought it was 115, but I don't know. Oh, 125. Okay, yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. But so just consider her yeah. fighting style. Is she's not going to be like trading with nobody. She's just, she goes in, she's going to attack this submission, attack that submission, attack this punch, you know, this kick submission. It's one thing after another, after another. Yeah. There's no, it's very unlikely. Yeah. That and, guy, and, and just imagine she grabs a dude's arm. This guy doesn't even know what's literally happening. Yeah. He, he doesn't think to boo his elbow a little bit. He doesn't think to grab his own. He doesn't think of any of that. That stuff's right. not even part of his brain. Right. But when I I knew jujitsu, I knew about jujitsu. I knew like how to do a submission stuff. Mm-hmm. When I first my first day of actual jujitsu mm-hmm. like class, I didn't know what side mount was though. I knew what mount, rear, uh, back mount, and regular mount, and guard. That's all I knew. So as far as the positions go, mm-hmm. so the when actually it was with Wes, mm-hmm. where I went and I trained with him, he had me in side mount. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Clueless. I had no idea that that was an actual position. Mm-hmm. So you don't, and think about it, if you're untrained, you don't know what any of the <laughs> positions are. Nothing. Like you could literally, you could get someone in mount, they're totally untrained, 100%, right? You could get them in mount, you could have them there for 20 minutes, and then later on be like, hey, what position are you in? I don't know, it was just a, yeah, a big yeah, thing. Yeah, it was a know? big thing. I have yeah. no idea. Big mm-hmm. whirlwind of nothing. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. So you do make a good point. Like a, 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 if you know how to throw a baseball and they connect with a, with a little girl, yeah, if she's trained. Yeah. But then on the flip side of that, too, if you're untrained, fully untrained, and you get hit in the nose, even by like a 115-pound trained girl, by the way, that's, that's going to jam you up a little bit because you're not used to that kind of stuff. You yeah. Know? Uh, I'm going with, if we're going zero training, I'm going with the female. If we're going zero training for the dude and the legit badass Mackenzie Dern or Bullet Valentino, oh, come on, yeah. Bullet Valentino, oh my yeah. God. Yeah, exactly, yeah, I. She's wrecking. I would put my I actually, I actually like, I, I like that, I like those odds. I mean, come on, yeah. but Bullet Valentino would actually kick this dude in the head. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then hit a double leg. Yeah. And this guy doesn't even know what to sprawl. Bro, he's just falling down like an idiot. Yeah. Like if you don't train, you're an idiot when someone grabs you. Yeah, you're cl- very clueless, yes. And so. Sam Harris made a really good analogy when he was like, hey, if you don't know how to swim and you get thrown in the water or whatever, it's like you can't just try harder and swim. Yep. Like you, you're, you're using more energy, but you're swimming just as terribly. Like literally you don't you, You're just going to drown. So it's kind of that. There's actually, it is that. Yeah. So And the reason I, I said Mackenzie Dern, because I think a striker girl will have less of a chance to beat the guy than a aggressive grappler. That's cool, girl. except for that bullet Valentina is also a grappler and yeah. a hell of a good one. Yeah, there you go. What weight class is is um, Bullet Valentina? I don't know. I th- I thought it was yeah maybe she might be one twenty five. She might be one twenty five. Yeah, because she fought the lioness at one thirty five, right? Okay, so yeah, so one hundred fifteen. That's a smaller girl, which would I think lend more to a grappler type girl. I think. Well, the the advantage is definitely we're looking for a grappling girl, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah. But like, you get a girl that wrestled. That's a like a really good wrestled. A girl mm-hmm. that wrestled in college. Yeah. Bro, this dude's getting taken down. Yeah, fully. Yeah. This dude's getting taken down. And not to mention, and of course, then this kind of goes into a little bit, maybe more detail than is available here, but like 6'2", 230, fit, athletic, right? Even you if know, you're fit, mm-hmm. like you're going to kind of gas in a fight because that's different. If you're untrained in fighting. So I'm saying like you can do like a bunch of conditioning or whatever, but when you get in that fight, it's like it's a, it's a whole like it's almost like a night and day type conditioning. Yeah. You know, like you can be in great shape, VL2 max all day. 
and strength and all this stuff. You, you jump in that fight. It's, it just immediately just go, is gone. Do you know uh, Victoria here at Victory? Victoria yeah, Vortex? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. She's like, uh, like Olympic team level. Mm-hmm. She weighs less than 100 pounds. Hmm. She would take this dude down. Like, she's a total badass. Yeah. She did judo. She did wrestling. This dude's getting taken down. And then once you're on the ground, again, same thing. The, the We know what this guy's doing. As soon as he's on the ground, he's turning to his stomach to try and get back to his feet. Yeah. And when that happens, hooks are in, you're getting choked out. So the zero training is a big component of this. You give this guy one month of jujitsu. <laughs> Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yep. One month cr- of jiu-jitsu, now yep. it's a totally different story. It's You're literally cr- a different story. Yeah, yeah. Six months, this guy's guy going Yep, the guy wins. I'd say one month, even a guy this yeah. big and, and strong, knowing like what's like what's what. One, in the, in the one month, and he has eight out of ten, he's going to win. There's two times where he gets caught. I, yeah. You know, he gets caught in an arm lock. He gets caught in a rear naked. Yeah. He gets would, caught in a heel hook or something, and this wrecks yeah, his. I would accept that number. Yeah, in a it full fight be because because he could, um, you know, like he could just like if you know where not to be even a little yep. bit, your chances just go way up, yep. right? So he could like really know where not to be, even do like a non-technique, like a throat grab like super hard mm-hmm. or even a super hard headlock, mm-hmm. just avoiding that takedown right there just a little bit. He might jam a little 115-pound girl Yeah, up. especially if he's then punching her in the face, Yeah, right? It's yeah. a problem. He's so... Training makes all the difference. That's what this boils down to. This is kind of a different, this was a different, I, I got to a different place in this conversation. Yeah, me too. And it really had to do with remembering what it was like for me when I had zero training yeah. and what that felt like. And it's like, it, it, there was no, you don't even know what's happening. Yeah. You might as well just die. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you're there to fight. So I would say this, here's where this guy could handle. Zero, 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 zero training, mm-hmm. and he would handle, I think, is if he went in there not to fight. If he was, like, pushing away and running away, pushing and running away, and, like, essentially blocking, like, the attack. That would be the only chance he has. Yeah, I think. But if she's, like, really good striker, she's, like, throwing leg kicks yeah, at him. That's true. Too. So she, he's leg kicking her, or so she's leg kicking him. And chopping him down, bullet Valentina style, just leg kick, leg kick, leg kick. He's running for that, but he actually gets dropped after nine of those. Yeah, he goes down, or or he tries to block one and he gets double legged. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So fun, fun little mental exercise. Little question. Sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for joining us. That's all we got for tonight. Thanks for joining the cause. Thanks for all the support on all platforms. Jocko Fuel, Origin USA, JockoStore.com, all that stuff, echelonfront.com. Really appreciate it. And um, listen, if you learned anything from today, go train that jujitsu. <laughs> and that's all we've got for this time. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko. <laughs>